Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guest is John Della Volpe, the director of polling at Harvard's Kennedy School Institute of Politics and the foremost expert on young voters. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write in at politicsforum at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We're going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. And please check out the links to our sponsors, Beam, Lomi, and ExpressVPN in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. James, I don't know how it is across the pond. You're in London. Uh, I see where David Cameron is backing government. He's the one responsible (laughs) for getting Brexit on the ballot disaster. But things have gotten even crazier since you left. Some highlights. The House, with overwhelming Democratic support, and most Republicans, but not the crazies, passed a budget. They actually decided to kick the can down the road. It'll get us until January, early February. That is postponing the inevitable and it's better they did it uh, than not do it and have the government close in a couple days. But uh, the, the fight's going to continue uh, next year because the only way they can pass something in the House, it seems clear now, is with Democratic support. And that's going to drive the crazies crazier. Uh, there, there also were uh, – they, they postponed the inevitable uh, about having to deal with aid to Israel and Ukraine. More exciting in some ways, there was a lot of good extracurricular stuff. James, you're you're a big boxing fan, I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You could have put some stuff on HBO or ESPN. Kevin McCarthy bumped, sideswipe, push uh, that Tennessee Republican who voted one of the eight to vote against him. I don't know who's more bitter, Kevin McCarthy or Donald Trump. And over in the Senate, the new senator uh, from Oklahoma got up and challenged the head of the Teamsters to a fight in the middle of a congressional hearing. It took Bernie Sanders to bring order. Well, God, it's fun to watch, though. Said that and Trump is now, he's now openly using fascist, my, actually like. Nazi rhetoric this <laughs> yeah. time, when he vowed yeah. to get rid of all leftists, all communists, all Marxists, all radicals uh, that, that he said are, are, are the vermin of politics. You know, he, he could be accused of plagiarizing. That's what Hitler used to talk about. So it's been an exciting time over here. Finally, I don't want to leave this out because we've followed this. The Supreme Court promulgated an ethics code. The problem is it's got more loopholes and avoidance than it does code. Uh, there is no enforcement mechanism. Uh, they responded to pressure after Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito were caught with transgressions. But that's been a, you know, pretty, um, pretty exciting four or five days here. Not much good stuff, but uh, lots of crazy stuff. 
But, okay, what did they hope to accomplish by this? When they, when they put it out, all right, Chief Justice, they, they wrote this. I'm sure they had to get a sign off. They had, you know, meetings. What, what did they think that this was going to do? I hope they didn't think this was going to just quiet the whole thing down and pro public and everybody could say, well, I answered that question. Let's just move on. <laughs> they undoubtedly did think that, James, and I think you're right. It's not. <laughs> they better fire somebody because somebody's awfully goddamn stupid and thought this was going to go away because they put this, I wouldn't even call it a fig leaf, uh, a pasty. That's about the best I could come up with. I, I, I don't think these guys, you know, you, you think that everybody looks at the world and has this primary view. I, I think there's some truth. They just live in that Supreme Court world and they don't have any idea what the world is out there or what the world thinks of them or anything else. I mean, these are some staggering naive people. You know, you you're, you're on to something because I can't imagine with this uh, toothless ethics code. It's better to have one not than not have one, I will say that. But I can't imagine Justice Alito saying, you know, that that fishing trip, picking up the tab, all those fat cats, you know, should I do that or not? I think I know how he's going to answer it. And Clarence Thomas is going to say, Ginny, are you sure it's okay to take all that money from Harlan Crow and those other right-wingers? Okay, I'll do it. Uh, I, I don't think you're going to see much change. No, no. Go ask. <laughs> Which, you know, I'll tell you, the hell. They don't think, go ahead. They don't think they do anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah, they're powerful people and other powerful people. Powerful people do favors for other powerful people. And uh, what's, what's the issue here? You know, mm -hmm. all, everybody does the same thing. That, that's their answer. You know, the Mike Johnson uh, house, now we call it that, what they did this week, look, it's much better that they avoided a short-term shutdown. No question of that. But the way they did it was just to paper over uh, important issues that have to be resolved. And it was done with almost the unanimous support of House Democrats. Uh, once again, Hakeem Jeffries delivered what he had to. Uh, and it was done with a majority of Republicans, but with a big, big uh, negative vote for people who really wanted to see a government shutdown. They postponed half of the budget until, I think, January 19th, the other half until February 2nd. I guess that's the latter approach. Uh, and I, I don't see how anything's going to be different then. And it's clear that the only way uh, they're going to get something done is compromise, and they have a huge contingent in that House Republican caucus that says that's death and uh, we'll unseat you, Mr. Speaker. Well, how many times do they pass these CRs? I mean, how many times they, they, they always kick in the can down the road? I don't know if this was any more egregious than any other can kicking. Well, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it really, was, really was because they were going to, this isn't just a CR, this is just a short term, you know, four or five weeks. Uh, they didn't include a bunch of things in it. They postponed more, more than usual. They always play games around Christmas time. But last year, right. they stayed and they voted on a comprehensive CR on the 23rd of December. This year, they're all going to be able to take their Christmas vacations. Dang, I'm I, I don't think, you know, I'd like to see the speaker do well, but yeah, I'm not encouraged by what I see so far. No, I don't think he has the political instincts to, to really do well. Well, I, I, don't think, I don't think his caucus has any interest yeah. in him doing well. I mean, I don't think he can go 
to Matt Gates and say, uh, Matt, look, it, this the party's trying to hang together here. You know, if you can give us a couple boats, you know, maybe we can get something and we can help you down the road. It's, they don't care. They're not interested in it. Yeah. They, they're interested in their own, you know, who responds to their, who sends them money. It, it, it's a breakdown of everything. It's particularly a breakdown over there. Because Pelosi, no one wanted to face her for, with this kind of stuff. They, they don't, they're not scared of this guy. It, not at all. The two things that matter most for a House speaker are political instincts and the ability to engender fear. And that's what Nancy Pelosi had better than anyone I've ever known in that post. Tip O'Neill was a second. Uh, but these guys don't have it. Uh, they really, really don't have There's, it. And, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I don't see it. And, you know, the other thing you do, but Kevin McCarthy could do, and clearly Pelosi could do it, they could do 211 fundraisers a year, yeah. you know? And I, I, I don't see this guy's doing that or being that big of a draw outside of the, you know, really. Well, he'll, he'll be a big draw with the religious right, the Christian yeah. nationalists, yeah. white Christian nationalists, but right. they aren't the big contributors. So. No, no, but uh, I, I, but I just don't. I don't think anybody's scared of this guy. I think they put him in there because he's weak. Uh, I mean, in if he had, if I was his advisor, which I'm not, I would have said, under no conditions should you take this. Yeah, you know, and if they want you to take it, then. That you got, they'll make him do it on your terms, not their terms. And yeah, the only way just the only way out. he should have taken it was to get a commitment to change the rule that allows anybody to uh, raise right. the uh, vacate the chair motion because it's going to happen. I mean, Matt Gaps right. and others like that. They love chaos. They love of a breakdown. They, do. they don't care about the idea that him. Or, or Trump, or any of these people. The only good thing I can say about them, they don't really give a shit about the Republican Why Party. I mean, I mean you, you can't. I mean, and you look, you talked about it early, but all this fisticuffs here. And then you, you, you watch the Michigan, they're all fighting, they're all fighting everybody. They, they, in, that, that comes out of great frustration. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're very frustrated political party. They really are. Yeah. And they don't know what to do. The the abortion thing has got them. They completely, I don't know how they could have missed it. They completely didn't see this coming. And they keep losing these elections and they go home and people are screaming at them and donors are screaming at them, asking what the hell you think you're doing. And they don't like it at all. And it's a, just a big problem they got. They really do. And on top of that, James, they have the huge specter of Donald Trump. Uh, and they, they, you know, I think if they took a private vote, a private vote in the House uh, uh, conference, uh, I think uh, Trump would lose two or three to one. But they won't stand up to him. Uh, this week, uh, nobody that I'm aware of, of any note in the Republican Party, uh, stood up to his uh, talking about we're going to eliminate the vermin. You know, he, I mean, he was he he plagiarized. He played play, plagiarized Adolf Hitler, uh, but nobody stood up to him in the Republican Party. Uh, you know, I, and I I completely go where you come from. I think that more of these people actually believe that. Yeah. 
All right? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I'm sorry, not going to say all of them. But, you know, we're like cousins thinking, well, they're kind of saying people they can't do anything because they live in fear. And they know if they do that, Trump will primary. Of course, that's true. I just bet you that more than a few of them actually believe this mm-hmm. shit. I really do. I, 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 in, in, in Mike Johnson, you look at the intensity on that guy's face. And I'd like to just ask one of them, did, are you voted not to certify the election? Did you believe the election was so? And it's, well, we just wanted to look at some more documents, you know, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's, I, 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 I just think sometimes you got to take people at face value. I think these, not, not, not all of them, I don't know if a majority, but a lot of them believe this crazy shit. Well, you're right. The litmus test, the easy answer should be, was the 2020 election legitimate? If you don't accept the legitimacy of elections, and this one was more legitimate than some others, uh, it was uh, it was been called you know one of the it best elections ever held. Mode, but they're gonna say it's all we wanted to yeah. do is get to take another look. You know, 43 percent of the people of the country didn't think this. And, and this is the thing: if somebody, if uh, X percent of the people want this, then well, X percent of the people don't believe in evolution. Does that mean we should stop teaching biology? X percent of the people believe that the earth is flat. Does that mean we should stop flying airplanes? I, I, I mean, that's always the answer. Well, you know, look at all the people that thought it was stolen. Well, by, by, I don't care what they thought. There was no evidence ever came forth. 60 different court cases. I didn't get relief in one of got some minor insignificant release somewhere in Pennsylvania out of 61 lawsuits. But you can't, the problem is we think that they just do it for their political ass or they do it because it's, can some of them believe that. Mike Johnson might believe that men and dinosaurs walk together. I'm, I'm not, I don't know that. But well, just um, I mean, I think that you're right. Every case they lost. I hate to even say there was no evidence because it's such a silly uh, proposition in so many ways. And Ben Ginsburg, who, as you know, for up until the Trump time, was the leading Republican expert on elections and said that right. he did, he's never seen an election that was won by 10,000 votes that later was declared uh, illegal or uh, you know, flawed. It just doesn't happen. Maybe, you know, 400 votes. Maybe there was one in Charlotte – North Carolina several years ago, but never one with, with that kind of margins. And he said the I, the notion of, of fraud is just non-existent. But they don't they don't want to hear that. But right. But I, 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 again, but the question is, you know, certainly some don't want to hear it because they know it's the truth. I just I I don't know no way of telling. I think some of them don't want to hear it because they don't want to believe it. They 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 want to believe that. I, I, I don't know. There's some, some crazy people yeah. in this world, so I can tell you. They're really crazy. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, James, our guest is John Delavolpe, director of polling at Harvard's Kennedy School of Politics. And he is probably the foremost expert in America on young voters. John, you wrote that Joe Biden, who, who you work with, is in trouble for reelection with millennials and Gen X. Roughly 18 to 44 who have voted decisively for him and also uh, in, in 2020 uh, but they're bothered by, I guess, his presidency. But, but a new concern is the Israeli-Gaza war that compounds this problem with young voters. What on this issue and others can Biden do to turn this around now, John? Uh, hey, listen, thanks so much for, for having me. It's bigger than one issue, I think, Al. It's, it's about, listen, every cycle there is a new generation of younger people thinking about politics for the very first time, okay? And those folks are, are generally kind of um, motivated as much by their values as they are about the transactional nature of politics. And, and the very first thing they look at when they're thinking about voting is, does my vote make a difference? Um, <clears throat> what was the difference in my life um, today relative to uh, when, when um, I voted or my friends voted a couple of years ago? And how does that translate to making myself, my community, my country better. And what we've seen um, when I compare this electorate in 2024 with the electorate in 2020 is it's a group of young people who are more cynical, who are less connected to the Democratic Party, and tell me they are less likely to vote. Their attitude um, is in a pretty dark place right now when it comes to politics and it comes to government. And the point of, of, of the piece that you referenced, Al, is that... Um, is that they have this negative attitude. At the same time, there's, they're flirting with the independent candidacies of Bobby Kennedy, of Cornell West, of potentially others. And I think it's essential that the president and the vice president begin to connect and reconnect with this electorate um, and let them know that they're listening, that they're here, and that because of the votes of young people a couple of years ago, America is a very, very different place. Well, that's And that's the message I think that's where we need to start. You know, well, you're so right, and that's a record that should appeal to these young voters. Canceling some student debt, lots of jobs, many well-paying, progress on climate climate. But from my reporting, and you've done a lot more, uh, both students that I've, I've taught and my kids' friends, uh, the most intractable issue is age. People just don't think he's up to it now, much less in three or four years. How do you turn that around, John? Well, I think it's, I think it's honestly, Al, I think it's less about age and, and, and more about the lack of of appreciation or understanding for what I believe, to be honest, is the most youth-forward youth agenda from any president in, in, in decades and decades. Right. As you said, $127 billion in, in student debt relief, the first African-American female in the Supreme Court, the largest investment in climate, the, the, the gun violence prevention, the first time in two generations. And, and, and those issues are, are just, you know, I, I'll have, I do focus groups every single week, dozens and dozens and dozens of them. And um, it's few and far between the number of young people who are familiar with any of those 
any of those accomplishments. So listen, I don't think it's solely age. You know, Bernie Sanders is far more popular and he's older, right? So it's less about age and more about values and vision and, and communicating about the accomplishments of this generation. And then let's get that settled. And then you can talk about the uh, what age means relative to um, to President Trump, uh, former President Trump in the future. Well, most of these young voters, as you've noted, aren't going to vote for Trump. I mean, he's on the bad side of almost every issue that they really care about. But you noted there was a poll, I think, that said 40 percent of millennials or Gen X might, as you said a minute ago, vote for Robert F. Kennedy or Cornell West or uh, if no labels run someone uh, or even the infamous Jill Stein, you know, if only half of those voters or a third actually did that or stayed home, that's almost a lethal blow for Joe Biden. That's, that is hundred percent right. Any, any, listen, president, president Biden received more votes than any candidate, Democrat candidate for president and in, in, in modern history among younger people, 60% turnout um, and, and uh, I'm sorry, over 52% turnout and 60% of young people under 30 voted. Um, Barack Obama received 60, 66% in 2008 and 60% in 2012. Biden matched it, but again, more people turned out um, in, in 20 than in even 2012. He cannot afford to lose um, any of them to either staying at home or to an independent, an independent candidate because where are those votes going to be made up? You know, for every one of those younger people who who who, who want to send a message in some way, that that has to be made up in some way. It's going to be it's a very challenging environment to do that, of course. James. So so thank thank you, sir. That that two points of view that you hear reference to the the Biden reelection campaign. I'm going to give you a polling question, and there there are people that say, look, this polling is a year out. Yeah, quit getting this upset. It's just a snapshot in time. And Clinton in 1995 was way behind Obama in 2011 and Reagan in, in 1983. And it's just a bunch of goddamn bedwetters out there that are nervous Nellies. And just everybody needs to calm down and Biden's coming back. And then there are people that said, have you looked at these polls? Have you actually sat down and gone through them like I did? And you, and you tell me that, I don't turn 20 shades of I don't know what color when I see them. And it's your poll, and it's every other one. I, what am, I, am I missing something here? You're, you're, not, you're not. So a couple of things, James, right? One of which is the polls were accurate last week, okay, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. The polls in Kentucky and Ohio, those are right. But what, what I've looked at for 20-something years when it comes to young people, okay, again, is their attitude and the correlation between their attitude right. and whether or not they're going to vote. And what I'm going to tell you is between 2014 and 2018, the level of cynicism dropped by 17 percentage points and the increase of participation among under 30 people increased by 17 percentage points. It was the highest on record. When your generation and my generation and millennials were young persons age, they voted at half the level, okay? We predicted that a year in advance because of the attitude change. We can see the attitudes, we can measure it and, and voter registration and other things. So that is the most important thing. And what I'm concerned about <clears throat> is two things. One is the attitude is sour, it's cynical, one. The second thing is there is a significant decrease in number, for example, of African-American men in our poll, African-American men and women in our poll who identify as Democrats. 
Four years ago, James, 64% did. Today, it's 49%. Okay, there's a 12-point leakage among Hispanics. And the difference between younger people and older people is they need to buy into the system, and that takes time. You're not going to flip that on with a a 30-second ad, you know, six weeks before the election a year. So, you know, with a robust youth turnout, what should be the under-30 share of the total electorate? The under 30 share, you know, 16, 17 percent. 16, 17 percent. Listen, when you, where, when you combine younger, young Gen Zers with millennials, that could be 40 percent of the electorate. So, because I want to explain this to people sometimes. So, if let, let's say it's supposed to be 17, let's say it comes in at 15, just, for, for, just do simple numbers. And let's say you're supposed to be getting 60% of that, that that the Democrat would get 60% of the under 30. We're just doing easy numbers. So you say, well, James, look, you just lost two points. 60 times two is 1.2 points. My answer is no, because if it goes down in the under 30, it has to go up in the over 30. I mean, we're losing both ways. We, We... we're losing that we're not getting our people out, and we're losing because we put a low number out. It all has to add up to a hundred. We, we lose it on, on both on both sides of this trade, and that's what worries me to death about your poll, and that's what worries me to death about black turnout. Democrat cannot win without under thirty and black turnout being a. a a robust share of the electorate. And I don't see it coming right now. It's That scares me as much as anything. Again, like you said, you need to make it up somewhere, right? And those two issues are interconnected. And as, as, as you well know, in uh, 2020, that Donald Trump won the vote of everybody over the age of 40, okay? In, in Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia. It is that 20-point margin of the under 30s that in many ways was responsible for for the Biden-Harris tickets uh, succeeding. So one more question, we'll give it back to Al. You keep hearing, all oh, these young people, they're so goddamn liberal. Jesus, they're out there. I James. looked at the self-described ideology on your poll. It, it wasn't overwhelmingly, I mean, there, were a little, there would be a little more self-identified liberals than over 30, but it, was, it wasn't like they were stampeding to the left, anything like that. Did you have any kind of sense of that in, in your data? No, I, I think what is what has been clear in our data, you know, for for basically for well over a decade, if not a decade and a half, is that on every of the typology, ideolo- ideological policy-related questions that we ask, um, younger people, specifically younger people of color, have become more progressive. Uh, on every single issue in terms of kind of their values. They're not necessarily connecting that to the Democratic Party, but their val- this is why it's such an incredible opportunity, short-term as well as longer-term for the Democratic Party. There has never been, you know, in, in decades, I think, a greater opportunity uh, for Democrats right now because you have these kind of values aligned. You have an antipathy towards Trump. Um, and, and we just need to, I think, kind of communicate to them that government can be the vehicle to make the significant change that they're, that they're looking for. We agree with you. Go ahead, Alfred. It's like this awful conversation we just having. <laughs> you know, it's like the opportunity. Is. John, it's interesting you mentioned 40 percent, uh, maybe 17 and 23, uh, because I looked at the Ohio exit polls 
uh, of last week. I don't have the same confidence in Exxon polls than I do uh, in De La Volpe polls and others, but still it, it was instructive. And I think it was exactly that. I think it was 40% and they voted more than 70% for the pro-choice side, abortion rights side. So on issues, Democrats are in pretty darn good shape. And as James said, they've won elections after elections this year. And the only response you get, a variation of what James said is from the Biden people is, okay, when that's joined with Trump as the nominee, as an existential danger, you can sell that, then they're going to come home. Is it as easy as that or is it a little bit harder? That's exactly what happened in 2020. But it's 2024 next year. Okay, and as as I said, you're you're dealing with a group of people whose attitude was, "I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to vote against every one of those values that the other person represents." And Trump, okay, that is a fundamentally different electorate today. Again, their attitude is is different, and you have Bobby Kennedy, who I'm telling you is as much of a threat, if no more of a threat for Democrats as he is for Republicans. A lot of people think that he's going to pull away anti-vax Trumpers, okay? He is a very skilled politician. He is a conspiracy theorist, but he's also a skilled politician. And if you look at what he's saying, he's appealing directly to Gen Zers and millennials who, quote, don't have a home, right? Declare your independence. He's going to do very well with that group, as will Cornell West, if he can manage to find his way on his ballot. And we obviously know the damage that Jill Stein did to our democracy in 2016. So, um, you know, do I think that um, Biden can absolutely, you know, um, improve his standing in a one-on-one against against Trump? Of course he can. The, the people aren't moving to Trump. They're moving to, to say they're dissatisfied uh, about politics because they don't know his accomplishments. This is a fixable problem. This is a fixable problem. And let me say, I give President Biden a tremendous amount of credit for doing his job you know, in following up on the campaign promises that he made to younger people. The second part of this is communicate that in a way which, um, which you know, the kind of the world of and, and, and resonates. John, I, I, I've agreed with virtually everything you've said today. The only slight disagreement is I think age is more of a problem because that goes to communicating. Uh, that goes to what you're talking about. And he just doesn't do it. I have to think with the same record, a Bill Clinton, a Barack Obama would communicate that more effectively. Can't prove that, but I, I just suspect that. But we also ought to keep in mind for all those problems, the Republicans have bigger problems, longer run. There's very little appeal to younger voters with the Ted Cruz's, the Mike Johnson's, the J.D. Vance's. And I guess James and I talk about this a lot. There are a lot of young Democrats who would be very appealing to this uh, this uh, electorate. Uh, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, Andy Bashir this week. I think they would. Uh, I think they they would sweep most of the millennials and Gen X, and blow Trump away. Is that is that uh, just dreaming on my part? I don't know. I, I think that I think Democrats have a significant advantage, especially in uh, Democrats have a significant advantage. Again, just based upon the values and, and, and the vision and, um, and and the connection with, again, not just 17 percent, but roughly 40 percent of the, of the electorate. Right. You know, and and listen, what, what younger people tell me is and here's a question. They, they tell me that, you know what, you tell me to vote. I vote and every single year. I feel like I'm losing more and more rights. Okay, that's what this 
I think kind of campaign in many ways um, is about the degree to which you can you can show that the president and his team around him, he's not a single solitary figure, are fighting for those rights to expand those rights and protect the vulnerable wherever they are. You're right. I mean, it's demonstrably untrue that they are losing these rights. And it's, and it's also demonstrably true that with Donald Trump, they would lose a hell of a lot of rights. But you, know, you have to communicate that. You know, we always assume it's going to be Trump. Probably is. But if, say, a Nikki Haley were the nominee, uh, I, I think Biden would be doomed with young voters. Again, I don't. I don't know if he's going to be doomed. I don't know. It's about margin, right? Al, yeah. right? It's a, it's about margin, right? And and in a in a traditional two way race, a Democrat needs to get to sixty percent. John Kerry failed. He he got to the mid fifties. Hillary Clinton failed, um, and and it was just Biden and the in the two Obama uh, elections that got to sixty percent. Of course, that's different with um, a multi candidate field. But listen, is she? Uh, potentially appealing on paper, yes, but once a young once a young woman and a young man talk, uh, listen to what she has to say about choice, I think you know she won't be nearly as um, as uh, as popular as, as people might think. On paper. Yeah, James. So, <clears throat> what are what are the issues where there's a real uh, age divide, the under 30, over 50. Is it what we think or is there anything would surprise us there in terms of the, 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 the where there's a real gulf? You know, uh, there, there are a couple of things around education, all right, around around school choice is one thing that comes to mind very, very quickly, where kind of older Democrats are kind of are repelled by the idea of school choice. Younger people, uh, they believe in choice across a variety of things, including education. That's one thing that comes to mind uh, quite quite quickly. And of course, I think, you know, uh, Paul, today in terms of um, policy related to Israel um, and Hamas and the war or something too, that divides generations. The, to, to, to put a finer point in terms of the opportunity that Democrats have, there are some issues where younger Republicans and younger Democrats have more in common than younger Democrats and older Democrats or younger Republicans and older Republicans. Give the, for example, unions, James. You know, a, a younger Republican does not have antipathy towards unions, specifically teacher unions. In fact, a lot of the polling that I do, there's more favorable than unfavorable views. So this is a generation that grew up I think um, with a very um, with a similar uh, uh, similar set of experiences, and what I argue is that Gen Z, in particular, those essentially don't have a living memory of 9/11 or September 12th or September 13th when when Americans came together, regardless of which county, red or blue, that we lived in. This has been a generation that has been raised. Um, in, I think, an era of, of unique chaos and trauma, unlike anything in perhaps seven decades or so. And it's those values and those experiences from the Great Recession to school shootings to opioid abuse to depression and suicide, mental health to COVID, climate crisis, et cetera, that has formed like a set of values that in many ways transcend traditional partisanship. And there's, again, just a tremendous opportunity for Democrats to communicate that you can get, you can get more done working within the system than you can by checking out and voting for, throwing away your vote um, for Kennedy or West or Stein. So I get, in, in 1960, but by, by that time, I, I was 16 years old on Election Day in 1960. I, I was Catholic, grew up in Louisiana. I was about actually starting a formal political ideology. It was all based on civil rights, but I, I was, you know, pretty much a national Democrat by then. 
and when Kennedy came along, the effect it just had on me was just like, oh my God. And every, you know, other people were, this was, uh, in people's, well, his presidency did something. It, it would, it, the, just the way it felt to be a young person in 1960. And I was thinking, John, if you're, if you're 16 today, all right, it, the compared to where Biden would be, he'd have to be born in 1878. So in 1960, I'm going to see Al Smith <laughs> give the inaugural address, and I'm going to be – sometimes you just need some generational replenishing in the country. And a, a group of people I, – I don't get a sense that these young people are very fired up but excited about very much in American politics right now. It's, it's, you're 100% right. And – and that's going to be that's clearly the challenge, right? Um, you know, and, and and Bernie Sanders. I was at an event recently where he said, "Listen, we need to be mature. You know, right. we're going to have to get to a place where we may not collectively be incredibly enthusiastic, okay? But we need to make uh, a kind of a grown-up decision here and understand what the consequences are. So, if we don't support words, the president, right? Right. right. We, we need to be mature. We don't need to be exciting." We don't need to. We don't need to like get people fired up. Politics is a game of maturity and and alternatives, and and we wonder why people don't get excited and vote. I mean that strikes me. And, I, and I'll ask Bernie Sanders to his credit. I, I, he's really what he did with that stupid Mark Wayne Mullen was really remarkable, and he is a, a responsible guy. But man. I, I, I see lethargy down below. I see lethargy, lethargy, lethargy. Yeah. James, I'll tell you one thing, though. On the grassroots, when we, we look at like, well, like Maxwell Frost in, in Central Florida, and you're looking at the state senators, the state house, we saw some in Virginia, and even the school committee, it's going to take years, okay? But there is a, a, a level of excitement in some of these communities, these college campuses. That's what Democrats have gotten really, really great at just the last couple of cycles is organizing these college campuses. You have like, you know, 90 percent Democratic share in some of the in some of these precincts. And there's been a lot of investment from inside and outside the party. And they're organizing, again, based upon what we're talking about, based upon showing that this election makes a difference, the change in the attitudes and as well as mobilizing people. So um, at the grassroots is opportunity to be optimistic. But again, I think um, you're right. This is going to be a different kind of election. Well, uh, I, James brought up Jack Kennedy, and I remember reading that either right before he was president or right afterwards, he said, if a young person is undecided which party he wants to join, I'm just going to introduce and show them Carl Munt and Carl Curtis, old fogey Republican right-wing senators from South Dakota and Nebraska, and they'll become Democrats right away. Uh, and I think the Republican Party has very little appeal, as you have written and, you know, so persuasively. Uh, but we got to have someone like Jack, well, not going to have another Jack Kennedy, but uh, someone just to show them that. And well, what we need to have is we need to have thousands and thousands of thousands of Jack Kennedys across the right. country. This is going to be communicated not from the top down, from 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 Joe Biden. It's going to be communicated from the bottom up, right? And what I think the administration has done, you know, a, a very good job at specifically around the midterms is, is is basically kind of empowering young people to spread that message through relational organizing, et cetera. I think I think Vice President Harris has done an excellent job of late going out to co where young people are on college campuses. She's been met with, I think, a tremendous level um, of support by just showing up and listening. 
um, and, and, and kind of challenging them to, to thanking them for what they did and challenging them to do more. But this is the kind of thing where it's going to be these like micro influencers, um, in, including all of us, I think, who, who need to kind of remind younger people of it, it's a better, it's a different and better country because of their participation in 2018, 20 and 22. And they have to continue to do that. They need to continue to help us um, get to a better place. Well, John Delavoba, you've been a fantastic guest. We've got another year to go. Uh, this is going to become an issue that's critical throughout this year. And we want to hope we can get you to come on again because we have really enjoyed this and learned something. Yeah, we have. We didn't, we've been looking so forward to it, John. We really have. I read your stuff. And you, you were able to overcome my Harvard's extreme skepticism this fucking guy can't you know like no you you do you do you do Good well job. it's no lsu james but it's not a bad place there you go <laughs> you know the more i look at these fucking things the worse they are i mean i sit and i say well let me look a little bit deeper maybe i'll find no every time you go to a data point you go shit you know it's it's, it's worse than i thought it would be and yeah, yeah. I, listen, and, and I don't think James. I don't think in this era, a public opinion is elastic as it was pre 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 two thousand fifteen. You know, look at what, look like at it. look at the midterms. The midterms didn't change. We had inflation. We had a war. We had this, that, the other thing. Okay, and and the midterm poll numbers on a national basis really didn't move over the course of this last year. Okay, it's really hard to move things today. Well, James, and, James um, I'm going to throw your own words back at you. You okay, want to you want to feel good. Look at elections, two thousand twenty three. Democrats are I, winning I, everywhere. You I, know, I mean that I that, I, 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 that that's a fact, right? That that there are two things that are absolute fact. We're winning every election coming down the pike, and these polls are not bad. They're like staggeringly, they historically breathtaking bad. All right, just in every freaking number is that way. And I, I ask me to reconcile it. I only guesses, but the 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 if you took the wrong track number, you took the number of people that don't want to eat these candidates, you took the third party vote. There's just so much uncertainty and volatility in this electorate. I think it's I think it's a fool's errand to say this is just the way it's going to unfold. It's going to go down, and you know they're going to get this, and the third party's going to get that. I I I think I think no idea how it's going to come out. But I know one thing about this fight. Between now and election day, we're going to have to strap in because it's going to get bumpy, really bumpy. Well, And we need to talk about it, don't we? We need to talk about it. Well, of course well we, we do. And we need to have John Delavolpe on some more uh, right. to help us work through this and see if there's been any changes, hopefully uh, uh, for the better. John, um, you know, it's always great to have a Harvard Don on, but you are absolutely terrific. Thank you so much. Great. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you, guys. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
And now for the outrages of the week. First, I want to make an apology of sorts. On this podcast and in columns, I have been critical of Colorado Congressman Ken Buck. It goes back to my first contentious interview with him when he ran for the Senate in 2010. He is a right-wing, honest conservative who also has some principles. He told Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise he'd only vote for him for speaker if they acknowledge the reality that the 2020 presidential election was legitimate, fair. They refused, and he didn't vote for him. And for all his hardline immigration views, he refused to support the absurd impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This would have been the first impeachment of a cabinet member since the 1870s. And most, almost all House Republicans went along with a smear job spearheaded by right-wing Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. These included, James, some of the more supposedly sensible members from competitive districts. Here's a few. Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania, John James of Michigan, Mike Lawler of New York, Brandon Williams of New York, Anthony Desposito of New York, and Nebraska's Don Bacon all voted, in essence, for Green's impeachment resolution. I've got a suggestion for all of them. Invite Margie into your district next year, and she can explain how she made that remarkable discovery that Jewish laser beams were starting forest fires in California. If I was off base a bit with Buck, I'll take credit for identifying the timid 20 early, James. Absolutely. So it's just, it's an ongoing outrage. So in Wisconsin, uh, Judge Peskowitz wins. Then they try to impeach him before she decides a case because they have no, no intention of following the will of the voters or referendum, anything. So then we go to Ohio. So they, they lie. They try to do everything they can to, to, to mess up the, the, the scheduling, the wording, the confusion, and people caught on, and the thing goes down by 13 points, which is like landslide on top of landslide in Ohio. And, of course, the Republicans in the legislature are already introducing legislation to strip the Supreme Court from the ability to interpret the state constitution. When the state constitution now just passed this, consti- this constitutional amendment, they don't care. They will cling to any aspect of power. They don't care how illegal it is. They don't care what the voters say. They don't care about referendums. They don't care about election returns. And they're just going to continue to do this. And they're going to do it right right in your face. And and they're going to continue to... to once people in Ohio made a staggering statement of what they wanted and what they thought about all this, it ain't going to slow them down. They have no intention of listening to my, Yeah, no, you you're, know, you're, you're, you're so right. And now for the questions, James, from our very, very smart listeners. We'll start off with Tony and and Larkspur, California. And he wants to know, what role and influence do you think that spouses have in presidential politics? Clearly, when we elected Bill Clinton, Hillary was a very close advisor, potentially the biggest influence. Barack and Michelle, the same. It appears to me 
Jill Biden is Jill Biden is very involved in the president's business. And while his age may be an issue, she seems very in tune with his responsibilities. I think it's a smart listener. I think it's a, I think it's a smart question, a smart observation. And I think Mrs. Biden is one of the more, and I'm sure that they want it this way, undercovered people, in, in powerful people in politics. And uh, I, I have a sense that uh, she exerts considerable influence over the president. And uh, she's very meticulous and methodical and, and behind the scenes as to how she does that. I, 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 yes, I think, that, I think that our question is on to something. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, they matter, you know, a great deal. Um, and they can be, and usually are, very important uh, advisors. Barbara Bush was, uh, so it's not just uh, it's not just Democrats. I don't think Melania Trump. <laughs> no, I don't either. But I think Nancy Reagan and Barbara Bush were. But you know, of course, who could be an important advisor to Donald Trump, James? <laughs> the next question comes from Trevor in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Was it a mistake for Ohio to put the abortion referendum on the ballot this year instead of waiting until 2024 to help drive turnout for Biden's reelection? You know, that was my initial reaction, but I've changed my mind on that, Trevor, for several reasons. Number one, as James mentioned earlier in the show, the Republicans won't let go of this. They're going to still try to sandbag the, uh, a referendum that 57 percent of Democrats voted for. So the issue won't go away. Secondly, Democrats have already, progressives, already have in the works to put on a, a, a redistricting uh, initiative uh, on the ballot next November. Ohio is the most gerrymandered state probably in the country, both on the congressional and the state legislative level. They, Ohio is about a, maybe a 51-49 Republican state, maybe 52-48. They have 70-75% in, uh, in the Ohio House and uh, as representatives in Congress. And they are incredibly arrogant because it's also maybe one of the most corrupt states in the union, and they get away with it because they have such a, it's a surefire win in some of these districts, no matter what you do. So I think that'll be a big plus next year, and uh, I think abortion won't go away. But James, you may have a different view. I, I do have a, a, a somewhat development to take issue with your view. People say things, it becomes, they get said and reset, just become sort of part of the background is part of the wallpaper. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is said on these social issues like abortion or something like that, you, you, you really, the, the committed conservative, they have the network, they have the churches, they have the evangelical, they have the whole thing. And if we put these, if, if, you can't win it if you let everybody vote. But by putting it out there, see Kansas, see Ohio, and, and we try to rig it where people won't find out about it. Of course, people find out about it, and not only do they vote these things down, they vote them down like, like crazy, like like double digits every time. And I don't know if somebody's going to sit in some meeting and say, maybe we ought to just put this, let's try putting it on a ballot where we think everybody's going to vote, because we're not doing very well uh, putting it out there and depending on our people to show up and they have to go to sleep, because their people are not sleeping out there. I, I I think this is just the political business which can follow the last person said, the person before that, and the person before that. And it's just inbred that these low turnout elections help right wingers and, and social conservatives. And I think it's it that may be true at one time, 
I think that that whole theory needs to be. Well, I hope they don't rethink it. Just keep doing it. Get, keep getting your ass beat. Why am I telling you to rethink it? James, the next question is from Jim in Babcock Ranch, Florida, uh, who says it seems both parties may be about to nominate presidential candidates that most people don't want, simply because showing them the door would cause the candidates' feelings to be hurt. With the stakes so high, and with you all as notable exceptions, why are we all so afraid of the unvarnished truth? Well, I'll give you the what I, what I think to be the answer. I don't know it, but I think people like Joe Biden. Understand that. And, and that matters. And I hate when I feel like I'm compelled to say, have you looked at these numbers? They, they, they're really not good. And you really ought to think of this. But, but how, you know, I, I was telling somebody in, in, in London, when you see these numbers, it's like walking in and seeing your grandma naked. You can't unsee them. They're just there. They're not, the image is just like there. And I, I do think if, if Biden were a less popular guy or less deeply respected and held in, in, in real affection uh, up and down the Democratic Party, I think someone would have done this. I I, I, no one wants to do it because everybody likes him. Well, he doesn't get enough credit. He really worked hard. You know, if you look at the real numbers, it should be better. And I don't, I, I don't know if the public's going to change their mind on this. I mean, you, you, y'all asking us to, a lot to believe that all this is going to miraculously change as we get close to election day. Yeah, I agree. I hope you're right. I think the difference is that they like Biden and they fear Trump. I mean, Republicans fear Trump and why they don't take him on. And Democrats like Biden. Um, well, there's but, a lot of Republicans running against Trump. There are no Democrats running against Biden. Well, you do. You have one running against him. All right, okay, Dean. So, you know, we'll, All right, okay, Dean. We'll, we'll okay, see what... Dean. Yeah. yeah. But, okay, Paul and Dane County, Wisconsin. We know about was, Dane County. Madison. Uh, ask, what would you put on the list of top three to five bragging points for the Democrats to keep hammering the media with in 2024? Paul, first of all, Trump, 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 for sure. But to give you others that I think do have uh, a lot of resonance, if done well, is abortion. We saw that in Ohio. We saw it in Kansas. We've seen it every place it's been on the ballot. And you have a Speaker of the House who wants to ban all abortions. And also banned, by the way, gay, gay marriages. So it's not just an, you know, an academic issue, if you will. I think another issue that could really resonate if handled well in 2025, both the tr Trump tax cuts for the wealthy and Obamacare subsidies for struggling middle class and poor people will expire. So, you know, each candidate ought to be asked, oh, what are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to send all the Trump tax cuts? That would add, you know, trillions to the deficit over a period of 10 years. And these are guys who talk about deficit as deficit hawks. And do you want to do away with the Obama subsidies? James, when they were first enacted back in 2015 or 16, they were really unpopular. Today, you try to take them away. Uh, and I think that's that's that'll be a problem. So I think if done well, Paul, the Democrats have some great issues to run on. Well, yes, and, and and they should make them answer the question, are you going to re renew these tax cuts for the wealthy? Right. Are you going to renew these subsidies? But get, get, in other words, get the ball right in their face. The other one that I think we could, obviously the best employment numbers we've had 
shit, not even in the last 50 years, maybe since World War II. It, it, but the, the big one that people don't know about is the pharmaceutical prices were actually negotiated lower for some drugs. The first time anyone has ever done that. We got to start. Let's, let's keep the momentum going. Let's start reducing more. People with diabetes, which is prevalent in ways we can't imagine in the United States, are going to get the drugs they need. They're going to live longer. They're going to have better lives. And they're going to be able to afford them. And we're going to keep doing that. And, and, but if you ask people, do they know that? No. And you, and you, you have to tell them to, to the point of you get sick of it, the repetition. That's the only way to do it. Yeah, no, I think you're, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right on that. Uh, Craig in Natick, Massachusetts. James, this is for you because he says, other than sending campaign contributions, can you suggest ways to get involved? Would, would I really would welcome your ideas on how to actively support candidates where my help might matter? Well, it depends on what your skill set is. If you if you do have a skill set of which I don't, so don't don't feel bad if you don't. James. At research, or if you think there's a project that a campaign can have that you can undertake, call them, call a research director and say, "Well, maybe I I, I can't move to to Las Vegas or Phoenix or you know Helena or, or wherever the campaign is," but but. I could, I could work on this project. I could have a certain, I don't, it, it, without knowing what your skill set is, what your passion is, what your interests are, are you able to pick up and leave and go somewhere? Uh, do you have to do it from home? Uh, I, I, I'd like to help you, but I, I, I just got to get a few, I got to get a few more facts about your life and what you can and can't do. Yeah. The, the next question, no, maybe, you know, you know, 20 gazillion ads. We can raise money. Who knows? Well, that helps. But boy, you're yeah. so right about research. If there's any void in campaigns that don't work, it's they haven't done adequate research on both their opponent and themselves. Uh, there's nothing that can, a few things that can be more valuable. Um, Jeff in St. Pete, Florida says, where the hell are Obama and Bill Clinton? They need to speak up. Will they go all in during the election and will it have an impact? They have to speak up selectively. They have to make the case that sometimes the president has a hard time making other big stakes in this, but they're not going to do it every day, every week. You know, they will do it very selectively. I suspect they will both be at the Democratic convention, although that's not going to get the kind of attention that uh, conventions used to get. And uh, they'll be they'll be out there some. Um, could they help marginally? But that's not because of Obama or Clinton. It's because of you know people. Uh, you know, no one delivers anymore. You don't get your milk delivered to you anymore, and politicians don't deliver for other candidates by and large. But if I were Joe Biden, I'd want to have selectively Barack Obama and Bill Clinton out there talking to my behalf. I, I, I would be very selective and very careful because I, I can almost tell you what people are going to say. Well, he needs them because he's old and they have to help him get across right. the finish line. Right. And everything... I'm sorry, everything that voters see, and this is not just Fox listeners, okay? It's all voters see. Everything is processed through Biden's age. So where we would normally think campaign, having surrogates, having people come out and talk, you know, Obama, talk about Obamacare, Clinton talk about it, the economy or whatever, it, it, it gets interpreted in different ways now. Now, I think they'd be smart, and I think they are, as to how you use tools that are available to you because you're you're in a very different place with this age issue yeah 
Yeah, you are. I mean, uh, Reagan didn't really help George W. Bush in 1988. Uh, and, Not really. Uh, you know, Clinton didn't really help Gore much in uh, 2000 and Obama didn't help Hillary much in 2016. That's not because of them. It's because of just as you know, right, what you, right. what you yeah, just said. I, I think here it's even more, a little more sensitive an issue. Well, I, yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I agree. I agree. James, this is from John in Chicago, Illinois, who notes that Pope Francis just fired Texas Bishop Joseph Strickland, who was called President Biden a fake Catholic. Bishop Strickland also criticized the Vatican reforms on same-sex marriage, transgender rights, abortion, and even climate change. Do you think the Pope was correct uh, in leading the Catholic Church in a more progressive direction and away from the Stricklands, and will it weaken uh, that element of the church? If If I had one problem with the Pope's action, it would be, man, what took you so long? All right? This guy is is a jerk and I hope he fires some more of them and puts people in there is like Gary Wills said, the social gospel comma, which is the gospel. And, and these people are just gay obsessed and they're fundraising obsessed. He doesn't anymore give a rat's patootie. He's got that whole right wing Catholic fundraising apparatus and he's just fine. This it, He's scamming all the money he can get out of this. And he's actually delighted with the fact that the Pope kicked him out. But I'm glad the Pope did it. Uh, Guy's a jerk. You know, he thinks being about Jesus is hating people. And that's that's clearly not what we're taught, not what we should be taught, not what we feel or believe. But good, kick kick him out, kick some more out with him. You said it perfectly, James Carville. Uh, thank you for sending all those questions. There's some we didn't get to. We'll try to get to them next week, so send them again. Uh, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate what a smart, smart audience we have. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Beam, Lomi, and ExpressVPN in our episode show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them because when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. Remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning. 